this is as close to a suit as you're going to get from me. With two exceptions. If I marry you or if I bury you, I'll put on a suit and even a tie. But uh, if you weren't here last night, um, uh, my family, my church family, you all um, completely blew me away um, by taking time to celebrate 25 years of being, uh, being here in Clarion, being a pastor at Zion. And uh, so there was something said about me wearing a suit. So that's what that joke comes from. Uh, if you feel like an outsider, like what in the world is he talking about? So we used to. Don't do it anymore. But uh, speaking of that, let me just again, uh, was, was, was completely overwhelmed last night and I was told to keep it short and to be quiet most of the night, and so I did. I tried. Um, but again, as I processed, and I'm continuing to process last night, um, just again overwhelmed and humbled uh, at what I know took a lot from a lot of people to pull off, uh, especially those of you who I kind of have trolled over the last couple of weeks just to kind of see if you would break. Um, and y'all did a good job. Y'all did a good job. And uh, again, from, from Matt and the elder team, obviously uh, the kids and Pam, uh, the work that, there was, that was put in, Missy, uh, who did a lot of work, I know, behind the scenes to make it happen. Uh, but then uh, last night, sitting down and um, reading the cards uh, from every one of you um, uh, that, that also, um, you know, also included um, a gift often... Um, Again, unexpected, un, you know, I, 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 completely just unexpected, but I'm grateful. Thank you for your generosity and, and um, just taking time to say uh, what you said. Uh, we will cherish last night. I'll cherish, I'll cherish last night um, for the rest of my life and look forward to another one in 25 years. <laughs> so that is, you have permission to do one when, when I'm here for 50 years. But please do not make a big deal over my presence until then. All right? Fair enough? Fair enough. But I love you all uh, so, 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 so very much, and you'll never know. So, all right, that's out of the way. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, if you've got a journal, if you're a note taker, take out your journal or, or a piece of paper. And I want you to answer this question that we're putting up on the screen. What is the first thing that comes to mind when I say Noah's Ark? Just... When I, when I say Noah's Ark, just write down what, what comes to mind, and then what I want you to do is just hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that uh, a, little bit, a little bit later. If you're new to Zion, uh, if you're first time here, or if you haven't been around for a little bit, we uh, started 2023 uh, a series called Beginnings. It's a series through the book of Genesis, not a, a, a line by line through the, verse, through, through the book of Genesis, but we're hitting all of the key points, uh, the key stories, the important moments uh, throughout uh, the, the story of, uh, of the beginning. Um, and in a nutshell, if you just need to get caught up, we, we have learned that Genesis 1 is the story of creation and preparation uh, that God made uh, of and for planet Earth. Genesis 2 uh, was the story, the more detailed story of Adam and Eve. Last week we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall, why why are things as bad as they are? Well, we can trace that all the way back uh, to Genesis 3. And if you missed last week, I said this last week, if you don't understand Genesis 3, you, the world doesn't make sense, all right? But if we can understand Genesis 3 and the implications of what is, what is uh, happening in Genesis 3, then no matter what we're going through, no matter what we see and experience and, 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 and um, uh, walk through in our life, uh, it, it begins to make sense of it uh, when we look at um, when everything went wrong. And then uh, we, didn't, we didn't spend time on Genesis 4, uh, but we're introduced there to the first death, the first murderer, uh, Cain killing Abel. And uh, today we're going to stop um, in Genesis 6, uh, which is a very, very familiar story. Um, but it's often, I think, um, if, we're not, if we're not careful, I think it can be misunderstood. I mean, everybody knows Noah, right? Noah and his ark. But today, we're going we're gonna to do a couple things. We want to see the significance of the story in the, the, the epic story, the grand picture, uh, the grand story of God. And that's important to understand uh, Noah's story in the grand story of God. But then we also want to, to, to make it personal. We, we want to look at it 
through, through our individual story, our individual story with God. So that's where we want to go uh, today. So Genesis 5, if we were to take some time to read that and walk through this genealogy, you would find that by the time we get to Genesis 6, we're about 15 or fifteen or 1,600 years after Adam, okay? How, again, how do we know that? If you read through chapter 5, you can begin to trace all those genealogies, and when you get to chapter 6, uh, it's about fifteen or 1,600 years. Again, we're talking about origins, and when we talk about origins in our culture, we, we often talk about evolution, right? Uh, things evolving, things from going from chaos to order. But if we look at simply the facts, it, it's more correct that when we think about the origins, instead of thinking about evolution, we should think about de-evolution. Because from the time of the fall, the reality is each generation grew less and less like God's design. They, they wandered further and further away from God's intent for creation. Things got worse and worse. You know, today we have a tendency to, to romanticize the past, and depending on our age and, and kind of how we were raised, we might, you know, look back in time and, and you know, look at, say, the, 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 the 1950s and, thinks, and think, man, things were way better back then, right? Things are not as good as they were back in the 50s. And again, that's a conversation for another time, but I would even say back in the 50s, depending on who you're talking to, they may not look at the 50s as a great time in our history. They may look at the 50s as a very horrific time in our, uh, in our nation's history. But that's a, another point for another time. But, but we understand this idea of things getting worse. What I want us to do for a minute is I want us to imagine that number 1,600 years. 1,600 years. Imagine that each decade, each generation that was born was a little bit worse than the previous generation. What was a little bit worse than the previous decade. Each generation grew, became more and more evil. Less and less like God's design and more and more like what we can imagine the world becoming in the days of Noah. Speaking of that, those who are way smarter than me have projected that on planet Earth, 1,600 years, Past, uh, past Adam, that there were about six billion people on the planet. Uh, six billion people on the planet. Again, no, we weren't there, nobody was there, but scientists, people who study and know way more than me have said that, that, that around Noah's day, there were probably about six billion people on planet Earth. And it's, it's at that point that we want to, to jump into the story. So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, uh, we say this often, please stop at our Welcome Center because we want to give you a copy of the scriptures for you to have on your own. But Genesis chapter 6, we're going to jump down <clears throat> uh, to verse number 5, and we'll jump in with these words. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Let me just stop right there. I'm going to set the stage. For 1,600 years, let's just imagine, God just let things happen. He, he just let each generation be born, live, do their own thing, grow more and more evil, further and further away from his design, right? So for 1,600 years, it's a long time, God was patient, he was merciful, he was, as he's described elsewhere in scripture, he was slow to anger. For 1,600 years, God never did anything as far as cleaning house, as far as stepping in and correcting, course correcting humanity. He just let things play out for 1,600 years. But after that time, what does he see happening? Continue reading verse five. He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now we need to think about this for a minute. 
We see people's actions around us today, and we often conclude, that's evil, right? How many, how many of you watched something on TV or, or read something on the internet this week, and you were like, that's evil, right? There is, there is evil abounding on planet Earth right now. But conversely, how many of you have read stories on the internet or watched something on TV that, that just gave you a glimmer of hope for humanity, right? And you're like, you know what? Man, that was encouraging. That did my heart good to read that. That that person went out of their way to, to help that rescue that dog, right? That, that, that classroom of kids uh, did what they did to, to build a, a, a playground for kids with disabilities in their class, in their school. Man, it was, that was awesome. And, and we read stories that, that do our heart good and remind us, you know what? There's some good in the world. And you know what? We, we need that, right? But in this moment in time, if we just think about it, there were no positive stories. There were no heartwarming stories to be told. Nothing that could inspire you or something that could remind you of the, the goodness of humanity. How do we know that? Because, again, if we just look at the text, it says that when God looked at humanity, what he saw was that every intentions of his heart was only evil continually. Now, your heart is evil, my heart is evil, but we're capable of doing something kind, right? We're capable, and we occasionally do the right thing, the compassionate thing, right, the loving thing, but when God looked at humanity's heart, it was only pride and envy and jealousy and rebellion and lust period. That's it. That's what God saw inside of the hearts of humanity. Again, today is the world is filled with bad people, but not everyone is bad all the time. But in Noah's day, that wasn't the case. Wasn't the case. So how does God respond? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, and the Lord regretted. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and then listen to this, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. And we need to just pause right there and think about this. In this, we see, if you have any doubt, that God is not just an impersonal force. God is not just a concept that God exists, that he is a person, and that God has feelings. In this moment, we see in him grief and sadness. And I think it's the same thing that he often sees in our lives, especially when our hearts are evil, when our minds are not where they should be. That God does feel something when it comes to our sin. He did then. And he does now, and we need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. But again, one of the saddest statements <coughs> that I think we find in all of Scripture. I mean, think about it. God made us. God blessed us. God loved us. Now he says, I am grieved that I did it in the first place. Listen, I'm a dad with three kids, and I love them. And again, so, again, humbled and blessed by what they did last night. But Cameron and Brianna and Kara weren't and aren't perfect. I know Pam is like, that is not true. They absolutely are. But as a father, I could not imagine in any given moment in time, no matter what they did, no matter what they said, me calling a meeting and saying, Cameron, Bree, Kara, sit down. I need to talk to you. I need to tell you that you have grieved me so much that if I'm being honest, I wish I wouldn't have made you. I mean, that's harsh. But in this moment, 
Scripture says that, that was what, how, how God felt. That's what, what God said. Are you with me? So God decides, because he's God, he's sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. He decides now is the time. Now is the time to deal with humanity. It's time for part of my nature that, 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 I, that I carry within me 100% of the time, it's time for that part of my nature to take center stage, my justice. Again, remember, for 1,600 years, 1,600 years, God was patient, he was merciful, he was long-suffering, he waited. But now, in this moment, we're gonna see, and you guys know where this story is going, but I wanna slow down and feel the weight of it it's more than just a bedtime story. It's more than just a picture you put on your, your, your nursery walls. As a matter of fact, by the end of the today, if you've got a Noah's Ark nursery in your home, you might want to go back and rethink it, all right? Just stay with, I'm just being honest, right? But now we're at a part of humanity's history where God says it's time to deal with sin. And when God deals with sin, justice is always part of the equation, Justice is always a part of the equation, and we know in, in Noah's story, we're going to see justice. But there's also something else that's always at play when God decides to deal with sin, and we see it in verse 8. These words, but Noah found favor. Some of your translations say grace. Favor and grace, those, those words are pretty synonymous. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Those two words, when it comes to knowing God, if you want to understand who God is, those two words, justice and grace, you have to hold both of those truths of who God is in its proper tension. Because if we don't hold them in the proper tension, we will fall off the rails theologically and we will fall off the rails in our understanding of who God is. If all we think of God as being is a God of justice, right, then God becomes the, the, the angry taskmaster in the sky who when we, when we step out of line, he will take his heavenly bowling ball and he will drop it on our heads because he's just, right? And, and so we see people who, who swing way over here that they talk and they think about and they lead and they, they live with the justice of God front and center. Then there are others who live and lead with the grace of God. God is gracious and he's forgiving and he's patient and he's kind and, and, and he's, it's just grace, 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 grace. And listen, it is just grace. It's all grace. It's all about grace. But listen, if we forget justice, then we run the risk of thinking that God will wink at, overlook, ignore, forget about our sin under the name of, well, it's just God's grace. He'll overlook everything else because God is a God of grace. And so again, if we're not careful, we can fall off the rails on either side. And that's why when we see the story of Noah, I want you to leave. If you've never seen the story of Noah and, and being able to see justice perfectly executed and grace perfectly demonstrated, today I want you to walk out understanding both of those are God. Both of them are a part of his nature, a part of his character. Another question that we want to ask and try to answer today is this. Why did God use Noah? Have you thought about that? Why did God use Noah? You know, a lot of people who uh, would answer that question, they would say, well, Trent, the answer is easy. Just keep reading. Verse number nine, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's why God used Noah. It's because he was righteous and blameless and he walked with God. And if you wrote that down or if that's your thought, I think, I think theologically and I think, I think honestly, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. Why is that? Well, 
Let's go back to, let's go back to kind of put our thinking caps on and, and, and consider Noah's background. Noah was a, would have been a normal guy. Noah was nothing special. Noah, again, think about it. The, the humanity was evil. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. His parents didn't model anything for him. He didn't go to youth group or any kind of church programs. He didn't win any Bible awards. He was going about his life doing what people would have done. Hunt fish, watch Sports Center, drinking some beer, who knows? Whatever it is that Noah was doing, Noah was living the way planet Earth was living. They, he was doing his own thing. And, and so if we somehow think that God looked down on planet Earth and said, wow, look at that guy. I'm impressed. Whew. Look at him. He's great. I'm going to pick him. That's what we tend to think, right? And, and quite honestly, that's what I've probably always had in my mind. But here's what happens. I think it goes along with this idea that we think that God likes good guys and he zaps bad guys. If you're a good guy, God likes you and if you're a bad guy, God is going to zap you. But the truth is, are you ready? We're all bad guys. We're all bad guys. None of us bring anything to the table. None of us have anything to offer God. And in Noah's day, the same was true. And some. Because the thoughts of humanity, their hearts were only evil continually. And so we can't get to verse 9 without thinking about verse 8. That Noah, as a bad guy, part of the human race going about doing his own thing, somehow he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Somehow he was graced by God. God came and visited him. God, more accurately, would have thought, I think this, I'm gonna bring justice to the earth, but I'm going to choose to extend mercy and grace as well and I, I have to extend mercy and grace somehow, somewhere, to someone, I pick you. You're the guy. Not because Noah had anything to offer, but because God was willing and wanted to extend grace to someone. And that's going to come into play a little bit later with Noah, and it's going to come into play with us personally. It's... It's always been true what Paul said in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved by faith. That not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that nobody can boast. What Paul said was true and is true, and that same idea was true in Noah's day. That Noah had to receive, he had to find grace in the eyes of God not somehow go out and earn it. Again, we're going to go through the story very quickly, but you could take some time this week, and I encourage you to do so by reading Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9, but I want to just kind of highlight a couple of points in the story. Let's jump down to verse 13. God has chosen Noah. Noah is going about his life, again, trying to live as a righteous, blameless man because he's been graced by God. And we get down to verse 13, and, and God has given uh, Noah instructions. And in verse 13, he says to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God unpacks his plan. And he says, I want you to build a boat because I'm going to destroy humanity. I want you to build a boat. And he gives him all of, the, all of the details for building a boat. And anybody remember how long it's going to take him to build a boat? Anybody remember? Somebody? How many years? 100. There you go. 100 years. I heard, I heard Roy Kirkland answer. Give him a cookie. 
He would, he would get it right. I'm just glad you can hear. <laughs> That's good, Dad. I'm, I'm glad you're able to hear it. All right. So 100 years, that's how, that's how long he's going to take. And he, he tells them that this boat is going to, uh, going to be the size uh, of, a, of a battleship, right? It's going to be able to hold 500 railroad cars from a, from a size perspective. This is a mammoth structure. So for 100 years, this is Noah's life. Every day, Noah grabs his sons and he grabs their... They all grab their tool, tool belts and they, they go to work. And it required a lot of wood, lots of pitch and tar, lots of money, lots of everything. But again, we have to slow down and remember that this was their life for 100 years. Fellas, how many of you have an unfinished project at your house? <laughs> that if you were honest, would have taken you about two hours had you just stayed focused, Right? When we, we get it, right? We start something, we stop. A hundred years? How many times must Noah have been tempted to quit, to press pause, to begin doing something else? But he didn't. A hundred years, day after day after day after day, he and his sons build and work on this ark, ark this boat. What about everybody else? Well, they did evil continually. They did evil continually. And the text doesn't explicitly mention this, but you can only imagine if the hearts of humanity were only evil continually and inside of that was one man with one family building a boat in the desert, nowhere near water, you can imagine the ridicule that he must have experienced. The kind of teasing the kind of shame that he must have lived through. But if you were to turn to the New Testament letter uh, of Peter, the second letter that he wrote, Peter tells us that during that time that Noah continued to preach righteousness. Every day, every week, every month, every year, as he was working and building, and as he was being ridiculed, he continued to preach. He continued to preach. And, and, and again, we can, we can hold that tension about justice and grace. And I wasn't there to hear his sermons. But I've got, a, I've got a sneaking suspicion that Noah's messages to the people would have carried both in balance. Listen, everybody. God has told me that he's going to send a flood, that he's going to destroy the earth. God is just. This is going to happen. But he's also told me that he's a loving, merciful God. And if you'll join me, if you'll be with me, if you'll repent, if you'll believe, then you can be saved. You can be rescued. There is a way out. Again, you have to have both for us to accurately understand who God is and what he's all about. What was it that motivated Noah for 100 years? And again, we don't know. We don't know completely, but I think if we were to boil it down, I think we could say two things. It was grace and the promise of God. It was grace and the promise of God. Why, why do I say that? Well, if you look down at when Noah was, when God was giving Noah instructions, we can look at something that he says to him in verse 18 that I think became a, a go-to for Noah in those difficult days. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. I will establish a covenant. I'm making a promise to you that you're going to get in this boat. You're going to get in the ark. So for a hundred years, I, I can imagine that Noah held on to that promise how do I know that? Well, verse 22 simply tells us that Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did everything that God said. Let's just think about it. A hundred years. There would have been days and weeks and months where he experienced pain, rejection, loneliness. He, he probably would have had bouts with uncertainty 
Should I really be doing this? Does this make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. How can it make sense? But every time that he was tempted to quit, to give up, to give in, to to say enough, he went back to the promise that God had made. You're going to do this. You're going to make it. You're going to be in the boat because of grace. Because of grace. Because I've made a promise. I was thinking about that this week, and I, and, I, and I thought about our lives, and I thought about the fact that in this room, there, there's, there's pain and loneliness and rejection, and, and there's uncertainty that we've experienced and that we will continue to experience. And I wonder that in those moments, when you experience all of those things that are just part of the human experience, what keeps you going? What keeps you focused what, what keeps you close to God? And, and let me just encourage you. I think there's only two things. It's remembering God's grace and remembering God's promise. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter those seasons, those moments, those times where you're frustrated, you're, pain, you're in pain, you're lonely, there's uncertainty, you, you feel the, the weight of the world pressing in on you. If you can remember grace, and the promises that God has made to you, I think you will make it through. Noah continued. I don't know how many times he said, God gave me, God extended to me grace and he gave me a promise. I can work another day. God gave me grace and he, and he extended to me this promise. I, I can make it another week. God has given me grace. He's extended me to, to, to me this promise. I, I can make it another year. I can keep going because of what God has said to me. It's not about me. It's about him and what he's done. So after 100 years of working, let's fast forward in the story. God says, it's time to get in the ark. And we know this story, right? Take seven clean animals, more on that later, and two of every unclean animal. Then, in another act of patience, again, remember, 1,600 years, God is patient. Another 100 years, God extends patience. God says, in chapter 7, verse 4, he says it in seven days. In seven days, one more time. I'm going to wait a little bit longer so that you can warn people one last time. And then I'm going to close the door. So again, here come the animals, the sights, the sounds, the the smells. Imagine the people that were there, right? Why in this moment, as they're watching animals just descend on their own to the ark, why some of them didn't scratch their head and, and go, maybe there is something to what he's been saying. Why did no light bulbs come on for them? I don't know. All we know is that it didn't. They all continued to laugh. Noah and his family, again, just because of humanity, right? I can imagine him continuing to plead and beg and weep as they stood at the door. I don't know how long it took, but at some point in time, Noah looked around and there were no more creatures, no more animals making their way to the ark. And again, I don't know exactly how it went down. Maybe, maybe God shut the door because Noah just couldn't bring himself to do it. But the scripture says that Noah, or that God was the one who shut the door. But in that moment, in that moment, the opportunity for repentance ended. The door was closed. Noah and his family are safe inside. And then as you know the story, the clouds begin to roll in, right? The, the smell of of. of of H2O is in the air. The smell of water, it starts in the air, right? You can smell it, then you begin to feel it. And, and, and then there was the moment that the first drop began to fall, and then another, and then another, and then, then the downpour comes, and then it's a torrential rain. I mean, again, scholars, people who are way smarter than me, again, and we're not gonna get into all of it, uh, would, would tell you that that was the first time that, that rain, that water had fallen from the sky because there was a firmament that was, that was surrounding planet Earth at the time and, and really basically God just popped that and all of the, the water that was surrounding planet Earth just let itself out onto the Earth. We don't know what it, what it was like, what it, 
but we can just imagine. Imagine the, the worst storm that you've ever been in. Imagine being in, in a storm where you're just like, I don't know that I'm going to survive this. I don't know that the winds and the rain and the thunder and the lightning and the, the most scared that you've ever been when it comes to rainfall. Take that and multiply that exponentially. I mean, I, we, can't, we can't imagine. But at some point in time, people began to realize, oh no, Noah was right. Noah was right all along for a hundred years. He was right. And again, we weren't there. We could, just, we could just imagine it. But we can imagine it just makes sense. We know humanity. You know what you would do. But I can imagine banging on the doors. I can imagine people screaming, Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. All we could do is imagine this, right? We can imagine Noah and his family maybe trying to get to the middle of the middle of the ark because they didn't want to hear the screaming voices. It was too much for them. They didn't want to hear it. They were overwhelmed. Again, you would make sense that the oldest people would have died first that the most vulnerable, the sick, and the, the, the children would have died first. And then you can imagine the, the strong young people, young ladies and young men. The, the water, again, starts to, to rise up, and they're trying to go to the, to the hills. They're trying to climb as high as they can to avoid the waters. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you imagine a barren desert now an ocean for 40 days and for 40 nights it just kept coming nonstop didn't ease up now again this is where you want me to change the channel right this is where you want to grab the clicker and be like, okay, let's, let's watch something else. Let's, let's think about something else. Let's, let, let's, let's fast forward on the DVR, Trent. Let's get to the rainbows and the doves. Rainbows and doves, where are they at? They're not here yet. Chapter 7, verse 20. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind. Remember what I said? Six billion people. They all died. They all died. At the beginning of the message, I asked you to write down this question, the answer to this question. What comes to your mind when you think about Noah's Ark? Right? How many of you put boat? How many of you put rain? How many of you put animals? Who said rainbow? Did, did, did anybody say the annihilation of six billion people? Anybody? Huh? Oh, Jan. You're the judgment gal. Bring it. But, but that's, that's, what now, that's not what we think about. Like, we, our minds don't want to think about that part of the story. We want to fast forward to the sunshine and the rainbows, right? Listen, the truth of the matter is, and parents, again, you do what you want in your, you do what you want in your children's nursery, but Noah's Ark is not a kid's story. It's not. <laughs> it's just not a kid's story. It's horrific. It's terrifying. And we need to let that sink in a little bit. And if you're a little bit troubled by that, if you're bothered by it, if it disturbs you, 
then, then, then you're beginning to understand the story. You're beginning to understand the story. And again, some might say, well, why, why, why did God do this? And there are people who reject Christ. They reject God. They reject the Bible because they look at this story and they say, well, if God is loving, how could he let this happen? How could he do this? Did you not hear me at the beginning say he waited 1,600 years? He stood, he stood back. He stood down for 1,600 years because he's loving and gracious and kind and merciful and slow to anger. And then Noah preached for a hundred years because God is merciful and kind and, and loving and patient. And then he waited another seven days. But here's where we stop and remind ourselves that the wages of sin has always been death. The price for sin is death. And we see this in the story. And since Adam, people die. So for 1,600 years, before Noah's story, people died. 1,600 years, people died. They just didn't die like this. They didn't die this way. And the same thing is true today. People die. Death is a reality. And if we're not careful, we, we get all tied up in knots, or maybe you know people who get tied up in knots over how people die. And we think, well, how could God allow? Why would God do? But it only seems to, to, to get our attention when it happens in some dramatic way. And as awful as mass shootings are, and as awful as, as diseases are, as awful as the, the, the most horrific way that you can imagine somebody dying is, death is a reality for everyone. And it has been since the fall. Noah's story just happened to be the death of everyone with the exception of Noah and his family. Death happens. Death is a reality. But then we need to go back to the story. Chapter eight, verse one says, but God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. And here again, we don't see the word, but we see the, the, the idea of grace. God extended grace to Noah, and Noah, Noah received that grace, believing the promise of God, believing what God said. How do we know that? Because we've already read that Noah did what God commanded. He had faith. And one of the things that we say at Zion is faith is acting like Faith is acting like God tells the truth. And how do we know that Noah had faith? Because what he did demonstrated that he believed that God was telling him the truth when he said, I'm going to destroy the earth and I'm going to use you to rescue humanity. I'm going to use you and your family to keep humanity going. He, he did what God told him to do. He built a boat and his family was saved. In this story, 150 days it took for the water to recede. And he sends out a, send the, the raven is sent out. It comes back. Then they send out a dove. And it comes back with a, with a branch in its hand. And it sends out a dove again and the dove doesn't come back. And again, that's the sign that the, the waters are receiving, receding. But I want us to look at a piece of the story that I think we overlook in thinking about Noah, and that's in chapter 8. This would have been after the waters had subsided, that they're now on dry land. Chapter 8, verse 20. Noah and his family are off the ark. It says this, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter day and night, shall not cease. 
What do we miss in this? We miss the sacrifice. We miss the first thing that was on Noah's mind after everything that had happened. And that was to worship God and to make a sacrifice for him. And we don't, we don't have to do that today. I'm glad that, that because of Jesus, that we don't have to offer the blood of animals as a, as a way to express our worship to God, as a way to, to make a sacrifice to God. For, for us, our worship and our sacrifice looks differently. But in this moment, the first thing that's on Noah's mind is we need to demonstrate how grateful we are to God for what he's done. And here's where I want to park before we're done today. In your life and my life, if, if we indeed have been the recipients of the grace of God, right? We, we are recipients of God's grace. And what that means is that there's been a, a moment in time in our life that we've recognized our sinful condition. We recognize that we're separated from God because of our sin and that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was buried and he rose again. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, shed his blood so that God in grace could and would forgive us of our sins. And we've heard that message. We've understood that message. We've believed that message. We've experienced the grace of God. We're on the ark. We're on the ark. God has rescued us by his grace. But I think we forget what being a recipient of God's grace also means. It means that, that we, we escape eternal judgment. That, that, that we don't have to face eternal damnation and separation from God for all of eternity. Like, what does that do in your life? When, when you think about grace and when you think about God's judgment and how, how God is a just God, but because of Christ, man, I, I, I don't have to face the consequences of my sin for all of eternity. And again, that's a whole other message. It doesn't mean there are no consequences for sin. God is still just. I'm talking, I'm talking kind of the big picture. I'm talking about eternal consequences. If you and I want the story of Noah to have individual implications, if we want to think of the story of Noah and think more than rainbows and doves and animals and some rain, then we've got to ask ourselves the question, how, how am I responding? How do I respond to God's grace in my life? How, how do I respond on a daily basis to the reality that I'm safe, I'm saved, because I'm on the ark, because I, I'm, I'm in Christ. He has rescued me. He has purchased me. He has bought me. He has placed me safely in him. And if our response isn't regularly to worship and to make some kind of a sacrifice, to, to give to him what he is worthy of, then do we really grasp grace? Do we really grasp the grace of God? See, I want us to be a people. My prayer for Zion is that we would understand a couple of things. As I want us to understand that great wickedness demands God's response. Always has, always will. Great wickedness demands God's response. And, and God's response to the wickedness of humanity ultimately was to send his son Jesus to take our punishment, to face the wrath that we deserve. He took it on himself as he hung and he bled and he died on the cross. God's response to wickedness was ultimately the cross. We need to be reminded of that all the time. It's what the cross is all about. But then I want us to be a people who understand this, 
that grace rises above the flood of Jesus, or the flood of judgment because of Jesus. Grace rises above the flood of judgment. And if you're here today and you've never received the grace of God, then the, the reality is you still have the judgment and justice of God in front of you. If you've never made it into Christ, if you've never recognized your need for Jesus Christ in your life, you're still on the outside looking in. My plea to you is that you would see Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, in, in, in all of his love and mercy. And I want you to see him on the cross dying for your sins and recognize that that was out of love for you. And it was because God is a just God. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I would plead with you, let today be that day. And we can help you with that. Be down front in a minute, and Matt will be here, and Jacob will be here. And we can help you make the decision to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's so, that's the beginning point, is starting a relationship with him. And for those of you who are here, who have been recipient of God's grace, who recognize that, man, because of grace, I don't have to face eternal judgment. I've escaped that. What's your daily life look like? Is it a life of worship? Is it a life of sacrifice? Let, let the story of Noah carry some personal implications with how you choose to live your daily, daily life. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we're grateful, again, for opportunities to open your word, to listen, to learn, to grow. And God, I pray um, that if there's one who does not have a relationship with you, Christ, that perhaps today would be the day that they, that they make, that, make that step and begin, a, uh, begin to follow you. God, we want to help them on that journey of faith. And God, for those of us who, again, those of us, my hand is in the air, who far too often live forgetting about grace because we truly don't live lives of worship and sacrifice, of, of giving our all to, to you, God. For those of us who are guilty of that, would you convict us? And, and would you just give us a, a fresh glimpse of all that we have because of the grace that you've extended to us? And, and may we live our lives accordingly. Use this time to, again, move us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna stand and we're gonna respond and we want you to respond as God's leading you. And one of the things that we invite you to do is if you want myself or Jacob or Matt to pray for you, we'll just be down here in the front. I'm gonna have Donna come and you can stand down here uh, as well. Becca, if you wanna come down and stand. And, and, and if you just want somebody to pray for you, we'll be here to pray. And if you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, and you need somebody to help you uh, take the step to begin following him, again, likewise, we want to help you take that step. Come and tap me on the shoulder, and we'll get that going. Let's sing together.